1: Hello and welcome back to the podcast. It is always up to speed with Formula One. It is Sunday 9th August 29th. Hey, Mark, did you see that? See what? You're asking? Dude, that was your summer. Can you believe it? The summer is basically gone in the blink of an eye just like the belgian grand prix we are now less than a week away from labor day which is the unofficial end of summer in north america and did you know did you ever follow that old saying of no white pants after labor day i don't know where i heard that good thing i don't own any white pants but um yeah we had a grand prix today it rains all weekends they delayed the race for three hours they did two laps behind the safety car and then they red flagged it or awarded, awarded half points for the top 10 cars, which was basically, well, it was identical to the starting grids, And that was it. So thank you so much for downloading and listening to the show. If you want to get in touch. Well, I'm just kind At of kidding. today. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, you know, I guess. It wasn't really a surprise based on what we saw over the course of the weekend, the inclement weather in the Ardennes in Belgium. And it was just, it it was a safety issue and sadly it was the the, the right thing to do. It's not really a great look for Formula 1. It's um, bad PR, but it was a good call. I mean, it was was just too dangerous. I mean, we saw so many crashes in Eau Rouge throughout the weekend, not just in Formula 1, in the support series as well. That crash that we saw, I guess, on saturday or friday whenever it was now in the w series my god that was scary i still can't believe that they all walked away with uh, basically just some bumps and bruises because that was scary and then when i saw lando's car come apart like it did at first i thought the worst and i was really really disturbed by all that and unfortunately that was about as good as the weather got Absolutely. It's crazy too because if
0: you flash back two weeks, we did a podcast with a friend of the show, Matt Sakaris, and he made a and I don't know if it was necessarily a hot take or a throwaway comment, but he he made mention of the fact that in his belief, Spa is simply too dangerous for the modern iteration of formula one car possibly any open wheel racing car based i think what we saw the last couple of days and and i remember kind of stewing on that for the next couple of days thinking like i don't know if that's necessarily true it's it's a high speed track it's not super technical but boy did his comments resonate over the past couple of days because to your point we saw we saw an ugly dust up in the the FIA F3 support race. We Mm -hmm. saw an absolutely crushingly terrifying crash in the W Series support race. And of course, we saw that ugly, ugly, lando incident in q3 right at the cusp right at the beginning of q3 of qualifying on saturday and to your point as well that w series crash was was terrifying and and i obviously saw the clip and i wasn't Mm -hmm. out looking for it it wasn't something that we were going to retweet at least not until we knew that people were were safe and people were okay and people were going to be okay but the reality is too watching that clip once again thank goodness For the Halo. But for me, the entire theme of this weekend is is ultimately safety. And I think, and we're going to spend quite a bit of time talking about this, but I think ultimately F1 fans, the folks that were there, the folks that were watching on TV, probably respected that we shouldn't have had a Grand Prix today. I think where people are ultimately upset and dissatisfied and frustrated is the charade of that two laps behind the safety car to force through a race classification so they could put some points on the board, call it a Grand Prix weekend and move on. The reality is that's something that's probably going to live on as a particularly ugly mark and stain on the history of not only this championship, but of the sport moving forward. And while I don't think it necessarily lives in infamy or will live in infamy in quite the same way that the 2005 U.S. Grand Prix. Yes, yes. Bad, bad look. And I got up for this one because I've really taken to tweeting along with the race and engaging with people on social media during the Grand Prix. Historically, I didn't. Historically, I would, to your point, watch a recording later. But I got up this morning and... It was about 5.45, 6 o'clock, and I, I posted a tweet. And I'm like, let's go, and we were excited for a wet race, but ultimately three and a half hours later, I left angry and frustrated and annoyed, and not because there wasn't a real Grand Prix, because the reality is the conditions wouldn't allow for it, but the fact that they shoved through a charade of a two-lap race behind a safety car, just so they could say, race complete, Mission complete, let's go home. And at the end of the day, the people that are harmed, the people that are hurt ultimately are the fans at home and the fans that attended that race. Total disservice to Formula One fans everywhere.
1: Yeah, you know it's funny that you should make that uh, comparison to the two thousand and five U.S. Grand Prix because uh, this this morning, and I, I was out on the bike. I was out for a ride, and it's been it's been a quiet month for that uh, particular pastime of mine. And I was trying to get in as many miles over the weekend as I could, and I thought, well, you know, it's 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 going to be good to go out for a ride first thing this morning. I'll come back, have breakfast, sit down, watch the 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 Grand Prix on the you know on F1 TV live. And I got back to the car. It was about 930 Pacific time, 10 o'clock, whatever it was. Pull my phone out of the back of my cycling jersey and the first message i see on the top is yours it's just like dude don't even bother they did two laps behind the safety car and they awarded half points i told my brother who's also a big formula one fan he's like well at least i don't have to go home and sit through three hours of that hoping at some point that it's uh, going to, to to get going but yeah my my immediate reaction was until i go home and see some of this is it going to be similar to the 2005 grand- u.s grand prix which for for those of you that uh, weren't around or don't remember that's when we had the Goodyear and the Bridgestone uh, tires the the Goodyear runners, they basically withdrew from the uh, the the race. they all did the formation lap and coming out of the the infield section in Indianapolis. They all peeled off the Goodyear uh, running cars. They all peeled off, went in the uh, pits. And basically, we had six cars uh, start the Grand Prix. It was the two Ferraris and four other guys. I can't even remember which other teams were running. And uh, it's burned into my memory that the fans at Indy standing up, thumbs down, booing, and Of course, it was a terrible, terrible look. I mean, this is a bad look as well, but, I mean, with the right intentions. Like you say, it was this whole charade of getting the cars out there like something was going to happen. I mean, if you go and listen to the race call or the the way that it's uh, going on, um, on, um, pardon me, on uh, Sky Sports is that, you know, there's – Something's going to happen. They're talking about being behind the the the, the pace car, or sorry, the, the 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 safety car. And Martin Brundle and and Crofty are both saying, "Well, the best way to dry a car for Formula One car or dry a track for Formula One cars is to get some Formula One cars out there and help repel the water off there and everything that they did, and it uh, obviously just did uh, <laughs> did not work at all. Which was, um, yeah, it was just it was a charade. But absolutely, you know, it what was- else do you do in the circumstances?
0: Yeah. And I think this is where my opinions really evolved over the course of the day. And one of the terms that was being thrown around quite liberally this morning was farce, farce, farce. This is a farce. This is a farce. And initially, I, I was struggling to decouple the three, three and a half hours that led up to the quote unquote race from the race itself. And to me, I'm like, well, you know, the FIA's here. They're effectively the operations manager. They're here and they're concerned for safety. Ultimately, this was a, an ugly race from a conditions perspective. It was an absolute torrential downpour. We shouldn't have raced. We didn't race, etc., etc. But then as the day went on and I started reflecting back on this, I'm like, okay, I kind of get it. The FIA was delaying and delaying and delaying, and they stopped the clock and they restarted the clock because I think in their spirits, in, in their thought process, they wanted to give this race every possible opportunity to happen. If the weather allowed, they wanted to create an opportunity. So they let it go. They let it go. They pause the clock. They let it go. And I'm thinking, you know what? That that makes sense. I, I appreciate that. You've got a global TV audience. Everyone is super hyper hungry for a Formula One race. We we finished the first half of the calendar on a bit of a cliffhanger where Lewis and Mercedes had leapt past Red Bull and Max Verstappen. Suddenly we have this championship. Everyone's sitting back for four weeks hungry for Formula One to return. People were incredibly excited. We go into this race weekend, it's not looking good on Sunday, the rain's coming, it's not letting up. I think the FIA was pushing and pushing and pushing because they wanted there to be an opportunity. That opportunity didn't come. I think where the frustration really comes from is not the chaos and the confusion and the lack of communication in those three, three and a half hours, but rather the fact that they forced a Grand Prix into two laps behind a safety car. If the conditions weren't safe, call it. Do not host what is ultimately, and now I do totally agree, and my opinion has changed, a farce of a Grand Prix because that's what it was. Do not challenge the intellectual capability of Formula One fans, new or old. That is garbage. And if I was a fan at the race and if I was a fan at home, which I was, I'm super, super frustrated. You've done them all a disservice. I I don't know about you, but my opinions have evolved as the days gone on. And initially, I was like, I get it. It's okay. Take the points. Let's move on. It's the championship. Now, as far as that two-lap race behind a safety car, I'm pretty angry. I'm a pretty frustrated consumer today.
1: Yeah, I was pretty irritated about it, but I mean, let's go and uh, see what uh, your namesake uh, and seven-time world champion Lewis Hamilton had to say. And he'd uh, said some things uh, before the race on social media saying that it was too dangerous to go out. It was going to put all the drivers at risk. He was uh, in, the, in the in the media pen after the uh, "quote unquote" so I'm doing the inverted commas here, the "quote unquote" race. Anyways, Lewis had to say money talks and it was literally the two laps to start the race. It's all money scenario so everyone gets their money And I think the fans should get theirs back too, because unfortunately they didn't get to see what they came and paid for. It's a shame we can't do the race tomorrow, but yeah. And I love this track as well. I'm so sad we couldn't do this, but today wasn't a race. I think the sport made a bad choice today. Of course we wanted to race. There's a minimum of two laps that you need to do to count as a race. And between that gap of stopping the first time to the second time, it had rained consistently. There's only one reason they sent us out, and that's why I feel more bad for the fans, end quote. So, you know, I I think he's spot on. I mean, obviously, I would be more than a little bit salty right now had I stumped up all the cash to make the trip, uh, regardless if it was only in an hour or two in the car, or if I come from the other side of the world with airfare and track ticket and hotel and all that. Yeah, it's... it is just not a good look for Formula One now. CEO of Formula One Stefano Domenicali said that there was no commercial pressure to start the race today. He said quote no no at the end of the day that's why when I hear that there was some sort of commercial discussion behind that it's totally not true because when we're talking about racing there's uh, there is responsibility that is a clear process and those things are not connected at all. And he went on to say when he was uh, asked if uh, F1 would also receive its full sanctioning fee without having uh, you know, "quote unquote" race, even if it was only two laps long, he went on to say, "quote Absolutely, that is why I said to consider that as something related to a commercial implication is wrong." End okay. quote. So,
0: okay, 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 I, I, I got to interject here. Go for it and I probably
1: shouldn't because it's rude, but I totally
0: agree with Lewis Hamilton. And if Lewis Hamilton had made this comment under the Bernie Eccleston era, there would have been a hell storm, an absolute hellstorm. So I respect the fact that Lewis now operates- w-
1: What do you mean, like blowback from the like the, like the F1 side or from Bernie specifically? From Bernie, well- Okay. Could, could you
0: really disentangle Formula One and Bernie when- Bernie No, of course not. Show? Yeah. But I
1: think it would have been
0: an ugly scenario. And I think Liberty gives the- The drivers a a little bit more freedom when it comes to speaking their mind, but kudos to Lewis. And this is where I'm very confused. I would like to know what data points the FIA had immediately before sending those cars out. What was changing in the weather patterns? What suddenly changed in the last three and a half hours that they believed, okay, now is the point that we can put these cars out with the expectation that we could have a Grand Prix? because I don't think there were any data points suggesting that it was possible to have a Grand Prix. I think they were pushed out. And this is where I'm frustrated because from an FIA perspective, their principal role here is to manage the operations of the Grand Prix, to manage the safety. I don't know that they necessarily care if there's a classification or not. So the perception is, of course, that Liberty pushed the FIA to ensure that we could get a classification so we could close the book on the Grand Prix. Because to that point from Domenicali, the reality is as long as there's a Grand Prix and a race classification, they get the money from the TV networks. So, they get to keep that cash. The terms and the conditions from the ticket sold through the race organizer get locked in. Hey, a Grand Prix happened. We've satisfied the terms of the tickets that we sold. And then ultimately, of course, the sanctioning fee from the race organizer itself becomes becomes concrete because, again, we've we've hosted a Grand Prix. We've lived up to our side of that contractual arrangement. So from Liberty's perspective, they're good. They're scot-free. They, they, they wipe their hands of this. They move on to Zanford. So I think the perception is, is a really bad one. And I like the fact that Hamilton's making this comment that ultimately, look, these fans that showed up were – Absolutely incredibly loyal and sat around in the rain for not the three and a half hours that it took from the moment the Grand Prix was supposed to start, but for the two or three, three
1: and hours. a half days?
0: Yeah, the three and a half days. And I think Lewis's comments are great. And I also found it was really dim or really telling that Dominicoli was specifically asked about Lewis's comments and said, Hey, what do you think about refunding the fans? He's like, No, 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 no. We're not refunding the fans. Now, the race organizer, they can refund the fans if they want to, but then the the race organizers out a sanctioning fee and the refunds to fans as far as i'm concerned i think that this whole refund situation be- could could become more problematic than the the perception of a terrible two-lap grand prix if, if f1 lets this linger it could be a really bad mark on on an organization that's made so many great inroads in terms of building and nurturing and cultivating a great fan base my perspective is this you know what mr race organizer Go ahead, refund those tickets, and if I'm Liberty, I'm going to waive the 2021 sanctioning fee. You know what? You guys didn't get a Grand Prix. We want to have a healthy, long-term relationship with you. We don't want to burn you. We're going to waive it. And ultimately, that's going to mean there's going to be slightly less prize money at the end of the season for the teams that qualify for championship prize money. But I think the teams would probably be okay with that based on the feedback that we heard from people like Zach Brown and Sebastian Vettel and Lewis Hamilton.
1: Yeah, you know, ultimately, I think it comes down to what the bean counters tell the, you know, the the, the F1 bigwigs in the boardroom and what they decide to do. But I think, so you know, what you what you say, I think, is completely reasonable. And I think it's absolutely the right thing to do. I did have a couple other things I wanted to respond to in that whole uh, little uh, tirade Sorry. rant of <laughs> yours, but it's all good. And we'll take a quick break. We'll come back on the flip side and I'll address those points. So don't go away after this, uh, just uh, for this short message from our sponsors. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right. Well, welcome back to the show. It's um, well, it was usually kind of a race weekend recap kind of show. I don't know what the hell this show is tonight, but we'll make it into something. We've got uh, we got tons of emails. But, uh, you know, it, it was interesting. One of the things I wanted to address that you said in the previous segment was just all these data points about when they could or could not have actually got this race going at some point on Sunday afternoon. And I thought it was interesting because full disclosure, I opened up the F1 TV app. I knew that there was going to be a three-hour delay, so I scrolled all the way through. I mean, come on, who's going to sit there and listen to three hours of people talk about Formula One? Oh, Nobody Crofty, does that. No, one does, <laughs> to Crofty and Brendel, by the way. Oh, hundred percent. A
0: three and a half hour block of watching rain fall in Belgium
1: they they should be I don't know how they get paid salary or hourly if they're they're, if they're hourly they should be getting double or triple time because they did an amazing job and I was just being a little bit kind of um, sarcastic about people who sits around talks about Formula One it's kind of the whole thing that we do here but anyways joking aside but it was interesting because um, when I was I I kind of went a little bit too far and I dialed it back a little bit and I, I noticed at one point when the cars were behind the safety car was that they were talking about okay well it seems like the rain has picked up again and it looks like that the the window of opportunity that they had to run a race looked like it had come and gone and the rain had picked up and it was harder than it was at any point in in the afternoon before that so i guess they're you know w- when you're sitting there at the track maybe the rain did ease off but obviously they weren't in the position to react or they just decided that they weren't going to maybe they're looking at the weather radar maybe they're thinking okay Okay, in thirty minutes, we're going to have no rain or something, but it came and gone, and it's a bit of a moot point. at uh, at, at any rate, but yeah, I mean, just to, going back to the other point that uh, you were making about waiving the sanctioning fee for 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 next year. I mean, they 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 should totally do that. I mean, and and the people they deserve their money back. I mean you know, you, you pay hundreds or thousands of bucks to get a race ticket. It doesn't matter if you get like the entire weekend or if you just go for race day or one of the days uh, thereof. But I mean, especially for the people that braved it out all weekend and then especially braved it out over three, three and a half, four hours, whatever it was on Sunday, only have to sit there behind that sham of a race for 15, well, not even that less than 10 minutes is uh yeah well it's beyond the pale right I mean if uh, <laughs> they're not uh, giving people their money back or you know freebies to next year however they want to comp people for next year right. you, you got to do something because it's just um it's, it's a terrible look otherwise
0: And I'll just add one thing on that too I I found it really offensive that Domenicali's response is no that the sanctioning fee is locked in it's up to the race organizer if they want to do something I, I just want to be very clear that. These race circuits and these race organizers themselves typically live on on a on the head of a pin in terms of finances. These aren't these races are very lucrative for Formula One. They are very, very, very difficult to host in a way that's financially viable. And these tracks themselves often live on the precipice of bankruptcy. So if the race organizer was themselves to refund Millions of dollars worth of tickets. There's a very real possibility that the race organ- or organizer itself could go into administration or go into some form of bankruptcy. Like these aren't typically billion-dollar companies that are hosting these events. Typically, it's a local tourism-based organization. It's a local telecom company. I just I found that comment from Domenicali despicable, and and I like Domenicali and I think he's adding some real value to Formula One, but I found that very 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 frustrating.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. And you know, I, I'm I'm going to get a little bit kind of silly now. And I have to admit that at, at one point, I feel like we should have opened the show here this at this evening with Millie Vanilli and blame it on the rain. And I I know that we are very careful here not to play. Um, You know anything that's copyrighted, anything that we don't have the rights or permissions to. But I feel that when it's Milli Vanilli, they're they're frauds, and we should be able to... I mean, they're proven as frauds, so I feel like we should be able to play their music without uh, repercussion. But I think there's sort of a double meaning to it. I mean, they were frauds, their music was all lip-synced and sung by other people, but I mean, Blame It on the Rain seems like the perfect song to play for a bit of a fraud of a Grand Prix. So I think it has kind of a double meaning to it, but... It was interesting, too, looking at some of the comments from race director Michael Massey. I mean, hey, it's been like a couple of weeks. We haven't heard him comment about things. We were commenting, hey, he's way too much in the news, but... uh, He's not popular online. (laughs) Well, I I can understand uh, why, but... uh, the, the. this is one time I'm kind of interested to hear his two cents because we've all seen it in IndyCar. We've seen it with NASCAR where they have rain delays and postponements and stuff like that. And they'll actually end up running the race on another day. So they, well, Michael Massey came out and said that they had no ability whatsoever to postpone the race from today until tomorrow. I know we're going to be at Zonfort next week, but come on, let, let, let's face it. This is a couple hours. Even to get to all the cars there, buy all the trucks and all the freight and stuff like that, yeah, it would be obviously a bit of a a logistical challenge, but it's not like we're going from Spa to um, Abu Dhabi or somewhere like that in in less than a week. So I I don't know why they... Could not make something work. But anyways, he has to say, or he had uh, the, the following to say, quote, there's no ability to postpone the race until tomorrow. So obviously, from the FIA perspective and jointly with F1, safety is paramount for the drivers, the team and all of the spectators. We gave every available opportunity within the rulebook and the provisions of the International Sporting Code to give us the best opportunity for us to complete a race. Unfortunately, on this occasion, we could not go the full distance that was available, but with the provisions to stop the clock is what we tried to do to see if we could get ourselves in that weather window of some activity, end quote. Um, Carla Sainz uh, said that uh, running behind the car uh, or behind the safety car was just to get a result was absolute nonsense. And Massey went on to say that, uh, well, anyways... We, we know what he said, but I don't know. The, the more that I, I read about this, I kind of see and, and and I say this somebody that comes from European background and has European family. I've lived there, but I just find that this is kind of an old world way of looking at things. It's, it's, it's way too tangled in the in the rules and the sporting code and things like that. Whereas we, we have the saying here in North America where, you know, the customer is always right and it, it doesn't matter who seems to be saying it, you know, like one of the, um, you know, you know, the, the powers that be, it seems that they're using like any excuse that they can or any reason that they can from the rules or the provisions in the International Sporting Code or whatever it is to try and explain away why they couldn't got this, uh, th- this race run today or postponed and run at another time. So, you know. I just get frustrated like that because at the end of the day, it's the, the the fans that end up paying for it, and you know, paying for it literally in a couple of ways. Especially the people that were there, you know, they're they're paying out of their own pocketbook uh, to partake in a Grand Prix that <laughs> was just an absolute joke, right?
0: I can anticipate some of the text messages or DMs we're going to get after this podcast. So I, I just, want oh, yeah, to for something. Sure. Let's be crystal clear that neither you or I. Are suggesting or advocating for the fact that this race should have happened? No. We both agree that it was absolutely the right thing not to race this Grand Prix. But if the conditions weren't suitable to run a Grand Prix, why did we go through that charade, that farce of two laps behind a safety car to lock in the race classification? That is that is where I am frustrated. Again, I totally agree there shouldn't have been a Grand Prix today. I'm very happy that the FIA stretched this out as long as they could in the hopes that the skies would open up. They might be able to run a race that's less dangerous. That didn't happen. But because the conditions were so bad, it's galling that they would run that two laps behind a safety car just so they could cash in on all of the revenue associated with closing the books on a weekend Grand Prix.
1: You know, and I, I think it's interesting too, because I mean, you're you're sitting here, you guys, you're listening to two guys from Vancouver. We live in the Pacific Northwest. We know w- w- when it comes to talking about like bad weather and rain, believe me, we know what we're talking about. And if we're looking at it and saying, holy crap, that is raining hard. It was raining hard. So, you know, it's... And totally, I mean, I, I agree with you 100%, Mark, that the you know, the stance that we're taking was that they shouldn't have run this or they should have run this race in the conditions no matter what because obviously it was the right call not to. But I, I, I would agree with you. I think it's a worse look for them to have run this charade of a Grand Prix for two laps behind the safety call rather than saying... Okay, you know what? We can't run the race at all. We're just going to we're, we're just going to wipe it from the books. Nothing's going to be awarded. It's just um it's not held. I think that I mean people would have been upset, but I think that this attempt to try and get something done just for the sake of it and getting a, a race classification. I mean, go back to 1984, Monaco. That's one of the races I remember watching as a young kid. Oh, Similar uh, torrential, horrible conditions. I seem to remember Alain Prost uh, leading that race. This is the the era when maybe uh, race radios. There was maybe uh, communications or the pits, or it was just in his infancy. I remember waving, gesticulating furiously every time he went by start-finish. And they ended up uh, calling that race. Senna, I think, was uh, still racing for Lotus, or was it Tolman at the time? I can't Maybe it was before he even went to Lotus. He ended up, uh, I think, if that race had gone a couple of laps longer, that was kind of one of his, basically, his coming out party and just proved what a great driver he was in the rain. But anyways, they ran it. I think they got to about 50% uh, race distance, and they they awarded half points. So, I mean, if you want to postpone or call the you know, call the race in that condition. Sure. I mean, that was pretty horrible in terms of inclement weather that day, that, that day as well. But at least there was a proper race going on. I mean, they started it and and they decided, you know what, guys, it's not safe to go. And I mean, this is in the 80s and face of the 80s, anything went. So it had to be pretty bad, They're bad yeah, if they called absolutely. it at this time. So, and you know. Just,
0: just to add, and I, I got to stop doing this because I have a bad habit of continuing to add on to points that you add on to my points, which are an add on to a previous <laughs> point that you
1: made. But it's like I the club that, sandwich of podcasting, you know? <laughs> I like that analogy.
0: I think the fans would have understood, especially after what we saw in the W Series pile up, especially with what we saw at the beginning of Q3 with Lando taking a spin, and especially with what we saw in the F3 event, I think the fans would have understood that out of an, out of an abundance of caution, we are not going to run this Grand Prix. The problem is it looks like all of a sudden you cannot disentangle the FIA and the commercial interests of Liberty and Formula One, which are always supposed to be two completely independent, sovereign bodies from one another. It's a bad look. Two other quick comments that I'm just going to add here real quick before we move on. One, I saw a great comment on Reddit suggesting that the Netflix Mercedes curse returns. This is very much like the fiasco for Mercedes that was Germany in 2019. And then another interesting stat as well. This was the shortest Grand Prix run in the history of Formula One at 14 kilometers. The previous shortest Grand Prix was Australia in 1991 at Adelaide, which was 55 kilometers, which should help provide a little bit of perspective Hmm. in terms of uh, what it was that we saw in the blink of an eye today.
1: Yeah, you're not kidding. It really was a blink of an eye. But I mean, <laughs> going back to what I was saying just now about like how bad the conditions were, if you saw the spray, I mean, you get that one camera, that great camera that they've had at Spa for eons at the end of the Kemmel Street. I mean, we all remember that. You know, go back 20 years, Hakanen and Schumacher going down there, both going on either side. I think it was Ricardo Zonta in the, in the bar. And that camera was there, but you see the safety car coming and then nothing. It's just like a wall of spray. And then you see Max kind of like drifting out to the side because at least if he pulls over to one side or the other of the safety car, at least he can see. But can you imagine you're the guy? Can you imagine you're Sergio Perez? You're starting at the back of the pack. I mean, it was just... It was incredible. Anyway, so Mark, time for another quick uh, break here on the show. When we come back, I guess we should kind of maybe talk about one or two other things in the uh, (laughs) to do with this, uh, you know, quote unquote uh, Grand Prix. We'll do that in just a moment. So guys, don't go away. We'll be right back. Okay. Well, welcome back to the show. And <laughs> would it be, you know, we were saying how galling it was for them to go out and run this, uh, you know, charade of a Grand Prix for two laps behind the, the, uh, the, the safety car. Would it be equally galling if we read out the top 10, like the race classification or should we just do it? Should, should we do it? You're, you're, you're not, uh, I'm, I'm not sure. We should, I, we should. I, we I, should? I
0: it would be it would be no less galling than having <laughs> a podium celebration like they did today. So I think we should run through the race classification.
1: Okay, well, you know I'll just be straight up. I mean, guys, we're not giving back any refunds. Not that we took any money in the in, in the first place, so we can't give back what we don't have. Anyways, patients, don't <laughs> that's right. Anyways, the race classification was Max Verstappen, George Russell. No, that is not uh, a mistake. Uh, Lewis Hamilton rounding out the. Um, Podium, I guess you could call it Danny Ricardo Sebastian Vettel Pierre Gasly Esteban Aka Charles Leclerc Nick Latifi double points finish for the Williams and I mean come on George Russell and Nick Latifi these guys have been driving hard for the longest time to get free and, uh, oh. and, and, I'll and talk,
0: I know we've got a story coming up about Williams so I'll,
1: I'll sure talk a little bit for that but uh, cool yeah
0: Back to back double points finishes for Williams. Incredible. I
1: mean, I, I guess if you're Williams, you've had all these years of horrible luck and just poor performances. You'll take it any way that you can uh, get it. And then finally, to round out the top ten, you had Carlos Sainz in the seconds of the two Ferraris. Now, looking at the driver standings, it is uh, kind of close things up a little bit. Uh, a little bit. You have Lewis Hamilton still on top, and half points. And come on, this is going to suck the rest of the year. Reading out these decimals. I mean, we should just like round up. <laughs> I, I was
0: just
1: thinking the exact same thing. So anyways, we got uh, Lewis, 202.5 points. Max Verstappen just three points behind with 199 and a 199.5. Lando Norris, 113. Valtteri Bottas, 108. And then Sergio Perez rounding out the top five with 104. On the Constructors' side, of course, that's closed up a little bit too. But it's Mercedes still on top. Thank God it's uh, kind of like balanced out with the half points. Anyways, 310 for Mercedes, 303 for Red Bull. Yeah. <laughs> 169 for Mercedes. Sorry, uh, McLaren Mercedes, and then Ferrari. Now four points behind with 165, and Alpine rounding out the top five with 80. So, I mean, looking at the constructors, I mean, we were talking recently about uh, Ferrari and uh, McLaren. That's going to be pretty tight. Alpine and AlphaTauri. There's only eight points separating the two. So those that that sort of mid middle of the the best of the rest, if you want to call it. Those are going to be some interesting battles going down the stretch. So, anyways. Going back to what we were just uh, talking about uh, just now, so George Russell, the man that came so close to scoring points and then having it cruelly yanked away from him and not getting the results that he really deserved at many times over the past couple of years – Finished second today. I mean, let's give George credit. I mean, as silly as it uh, is that uh, are there to, to be celebrating a podium finish for George based on what happened on Saturday, you have to give him full credit for the performance he put in in qualifying on very greasy, wet uh, uh, roads to, uh, to stick it on the front row. So, I mean, give him props for that. Yeah, I think you got to put an asterisk beside the fact that it is his uh, first podium, but uh, he said it doesn't matter how his first F1 podium arrived, I guess. Um, Sure. I mean, if it's a a confidence booster, I'm going to look at it more as a uh, a great qualifying for George and then just a a very, well, bizarre Sunday that worked out very well for him. (laughs)
0: I just want to say that I feel very much vindicated after qualifying and after George's podium. I feel like I've been living on an island for the past six months. I was the only person out there advocating for the greatness of Of George Russell. And hopefully, and shame on all of you for not believing and trusting in the greatness of George Russell, hopefully you can all see what I've clearly been preaching for the last six months, which is this guy is a future megastar, a superstar, and he absolutely deserves Valtteri's seat, which I think is probably going to be announced possibly by the time we do our next show. But again, I'm kidding. That's all very tongue in cheek. But uh, again, I think that that qualifying performance was an epic mega performance. And to put it into context, both he and Nicholas actually looked really great in Q1 and Q2. Nicholas almost squeezed into Q3, which would have been epic. We were almost in a position where we had two Williams in Q3 for the first time, and I don't know how long. I think Mm -hmm. that obviously their team had done a phenomenal job in putting together their aero philosophy and their aero package for the weekend. It suited the track. It suited the conditions. Lando obviously spins at the beginning of Q3, and my wife and I were watching that session, and as far as we were concerned, we were shocked that the cars were released because the conditions were so bad, and we were commenting on it together when Lando crashed, and again, to your earlier point, it was one of those uh, kind of tongue and throat moments where you you're panicked and you're mm-hmm. concerned for his well being. Out and kudos, obviously to Seb. Seb moments before Lando spun was screaming on the radio. That did
1: you see the? Or listen to the the uncensored uh, radio I feed did. from Seb's. That was very. Uh, yeah, very, very much so.
0: Absolutely. And I think a lot of people now believe that Seb should probably be running the FIA after his uh, after his career is over. But ultimately, Lando spins. Fortunately, he's OK. He's deprived possibly of his first pole position because he was looking fantastic and that car was dialed in. Obviously, he's very upset about the way that points were distributed today. But when you got back to that truncated Q3 session, the cars didn't have a lot of time and most of the cars went out straight on their full wets. They did a relatively slow lap to charge the batteries, and then they did an absolute flying lap to try to get to the best possible time. Uh, Williams took a, a different strategy. They actually sent they actually sent George out on the wets, brought him in, threw him on inters. Sent him out again, but he didn't have the same opportunity to go out and charge his batteries. So he's basically just sent out, and he put in an absolute blistering time. If not for the facts that Max pipped him at the last second, he would have been mm. on the pole. He finishes three tenths of a second behind Max. It was fantastic. It's the first time that you've had a Williams car on the front row since Lance did it in the rain in 2017 at at Monza, another incredibly famous, difficult to navigate track in. In the wet, it was also the first Williams podium, and I, I should reinforce this as well. So again, <laughs> Lance Stroll uh, put a Williams on the podium at Baku in 2017. But terrific weekend. I think the question then is because there was a lot of comment about this this week or the, uh, today as well. Is and again, this obviously isn't the sporting regulation, but if you can get through qualifying but you can't run a Grand Prix, should you still distribute points? Or should points only be distributed at the conclusion of a Grand Prix? And I mean, unless they want to change the sporting regulation, I guess the points kind of moot. But again, all the all the praise in the world to to George. I don't take away from him the podium. He put himself in a position where he was on the front row, and it wasn't anything that he did that resulted in a farce of a two lap race. So he deserves the podium. He deserves the points. Kudos to him. Um, I just want to stress as well, and I've made this point a couple of times, is. As much as he's evolving as a driver, and presumably Nicholas's as well, because we've seen a couple of stellar performances out of him recently, I think we need to make sure we continue to give credit to the Williams team, their factory, and their leadership. Because the car that that George is driving today is not the car from 2019 or 2020. They've hmm. continued to iterate and evolve that car. So again, as much as George is an up and coming superstar, uh, as I've mentioned previously. The car itself is developed as well, and I just want to make sure that Williams as a whole get, uh, get credit for that because I see people constantly refer to it as a fire truck, a tractor, a bus. It's <laughs> not. It's a Formula One car with a Mercedes power unit, and that team should be capable of doing some good things with it.
1: Okay, fair enough. I want to go into the mailbag now because we have uh, an email here from Annie Erling. And this is interesting because it's a little bit counter to a few of the points that you just uh, made. So she says, "Uh, hello, Mark and Mark, I cannot stop thinking about George Russell's podium. Who knows what would have happened, but I'm pretty sure that Russell would not have been on the podium if a normal race had gone forward. Maybe I'm just grouchy about the four hours I wasted this morning, but Russell's performance in his Williams car was anomalous. It was very cool, but also deviating from what is normal. Fine, he got second in a really horrible farce of a race. Good for him and Williams, but it's making me crazy to hear the British media using language like, quote-unquote, he earned it and praising his weekend performance. What? Maybe I'm wrong, and Russell truly had uh, what has been described by the British F1 media as one for the history books and one of the best quality performances. In the last decade. I would love to hear about Russell Spa performance from the only non British folks I follow for F1 News. Thanks, Annie, a proud member of the uh, Generation DTS. Well, thanks for the email. Um, yeah, I, I agree with. Yeah, I'll go first. I agree. I disagree with one point. I, I do agree that, well, maybe that's just a little bit of hyperbole. What, uh, you know, the, 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 the media is saying that it was one of the best quality performances in the last decade. That might be a little bit uh, too far. Definitely the qualifying, um, performance of the weekend, maybe the qualifying performance of the year to date, sticking it on the front row and not the greatest car on the grid in horrible conditions. I mean, he deserves and earns all the props for, for that. And as one for the history books, the podium and all that and and earning the podium, again, being in the right place at the right time, because like Annie says, it it is anomalous. It is an outlier under normal circumstances. Unfortunately, we would have seen George dropping back through the race order pretty quickly. Same with Nicholas. And then hopefully maybe keeping one or both of those cars in the points later in the race. Thoughts?
0: Yeah, I, I very much agree. I want to be clear as well. A couple of minutes ago, when I was talking about George and having been his principal advocate for the past six months, I was very much tongue in cheek. I think <laughs> for the show, and especially if you're joining the spaces chat, know that I'm typically of the perspective that he's a very capable driver mm-hmm. whose talents will likely be greatly exaggerated and amplified if he gets the opportunity to rock that Mercedes card. I, I don't necessarily know who should do it, if not he. I, I think Valtteri's I think Valtteri's uh, run with that team is deservedly over based on some previous experiences and what he's been able to string together over the last 12 to 18 months. Sure. I absolutely agree. And this is, this is a comment that we hear from our listeners all the time, particularly our Gen DTS American listeners, is, oh my goodness, the British press just fawn over George Russell. And I think the frustrating thing is that he's put in some pretty tight performances in that car and he's getting a lot of credit this weekend. But I was very quick to temper that by reminding people that this team hasn't been sitting on their laurels for the past laurels. They haven't been sitting (laughs) on their hands for the past two years, allowing other teams to iterate on their car while they did nothing. They've been iterating and developing this car as well. And Let's not forget, they have a Mercedes power unit. So I think George is a very talented driver. I think he's going to score podiums when he finally makes his way to Mercedes. But I think given the opportunity, I don't know why people would believe that he would do better in an equally capable car than Charles Leclerc or Lando Norris or any of a a variety of other young, talented drivers. I think he's good and I think he's going to do well with Mercedes, but I think his performances may be... Amplified or exaggerated by the based on the fact that he's going to be in that car now. Again, 2022 is going to be different because we're kind of resetting the formula entirely. So who knows what the teams look like? But again, I've been very very conservative. I think he deserves praise for qualifying in borderline treacherous conditions yesterday. But I totally agree with your point that. Under normal conditions, there's no way he scores a podium this weekend. He might finish in the top 10. He'll score a couple of points. He'll be happy with that. But mm-hmm. I don't think it would be totally different than Lance in 2017 when he put the car in the front row in Monza and then finished seventh. I think it probably would have been a similar outcome.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I don't think there's any uh, discussion or too much debate over the fact that he is an excellent driver when it comes to qualifying. I mean, he has that somewhat of... Um, and I, I think it's well intentioned. I don't think it's a you know really mi- poking fun at him. The na- a nickname "Mr. Saturday" because I mean we all know what that car has and has not been capable of on a Sunday afternoon over the past a uh, couple of years since he's become a Formula One driver. But I mean his record in qualifying over the past couple of years since he's been a Formula One driver is 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 impressive with what he's been able to do with what he's had available to him. And I, I think from there, he does uh, deserve the, the the props to it. It was, gonna, I just wanted. to oh, go, sorry, go ahead. I'm going
0: to counter you on that one, because I think the perception is that it's an absolute dog of a car. Mm-hmm. We don't actually know that we, we assume it is. And everyone buys into that narrative and it's probably true, but we don't know for certain that that's the, key.
1: to what extent.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Yep, fair. I'll, I'll give you that. I think that's a, a great point. Uh, before we go to the... Sorry for uh, disagreeing <laughs> with you just now, Mark. <laughs> Anyways, uh, I just wanted to j- dive into the live uh, chat here because Viral Eagle has uh, made a comment. I, w- I want to get your take on this one. And uh, the quote is, thoughts on Mazepin having the fastest lap, haha, just crapped off the quote unquote race. Of course, I don't think he got the, the half or, well, I guess I assume they would have given and a half point for fastest lap, yeah. but I don't think it would have counted because he wasn't in the top ten. But <laughs> I thought of a b- bizarre topsy turvy upside down weekend, of course Nikita <laughs> Masipin would have to get the fastest lap of the race. Oh, I was I was happy half- Yeah, I was having a bit of a laugh at myself uh, when I saw that because they did mention it uh, in the commentary as well. I'm just like, well, when you're living to the upside down, well, why not? I guess that (laughs) it's all good. Um, Anyway, so let's take a quick break and then we'll close it down. We've got a couple more emails. So let's take a very uh, quick break here. We'll come back on the flip side, take a couple more emails and we'll do that in just a moment. So don't go away. All right. well welcome back to the show. Mark and Mark here, breaking down what really wasn't um, a race. But anyways, time to go on to other things. We haven't been able to get to the mailbag very much in the last uh, couple of uh, shows. We've been so very, very busy. So why don't we uh, look into the mailbag? Let's see what we can find. Got one here. Oh, it's Bitter Brad in Pittsburgh. Oh, I'm just kidding. I don't want to make fun of Brad. He's always got some uh, good points. Always uh, happy to hear what he has to say. Anyways, um email is, hi, Marks, one last question for now. He sent us a couple, and uh, this is a little more of a fun one. My wife and I recently re-watched the movie Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby, which I love, and I come to realize that although Formula One is only briefly, briefly touched upon in the film, this was my only real touchstone for Formula One racing for a big chunk of my young adult life. Obviously, the portrayal of Sasha Baron Cohen's Jean Giraud is done more as a gag on American ethnocentrism and general attitudes towards Europeans and particularly the French in America at the time. Just a quick question: Do we ever go back to calling them French fries? Or are we still going with Freedom Fries? I know freedom that's prize, it's it? still Freedom Fries. Okay. Yeah. Um, this was a post 9-11 era of Freedom Fries. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I, I already uh, I didn't reread the, re, read this beforehand, but uh, apparently Brad and I are on the same wavelength. Uh, anyways, uh, this was still the post 9-11 era of Freedom Fries. If you're not with us, you're against us and we'll put a boot in your ass. It's the American way after all. However, focusing more on the motorsport aspect of the movie, I was wondering what effect you think it had on North American attitudes towards Formula One. Racing in general is sort of treated of as a joke in this movie, and particularly the character of Giroud is shown as reading books and drinking espresso during races. (laughs) Obviously, it's a satire, but as I said, many younger Americans, it it was uh, many younger Americans' only exposure to Formula One at the time, and it was portrayed as snobby Euro elitist, and weirdly as a skill set that translates to NASCAR. Furthermore, and I thought this is where it could be interesting, Talladega Nights only came out about a year after the 2005 U.S. Grand Prix, which you've mentioned several times as an unmitigated disaster, which we did again tonight. So, uh, you know, for those of you keeping score, you can add that to the tally. Anyways, uh, Brad has to finish up by saying, uh, was that and this movie a bit of a one-two punch for U.S.-North American attitudes towards F1 in the mid-aughts? Thanks again, Bitter Pittsburgh Brad. Yeah, great email. And I I think it was a bit of a one-two punch. I think uh, they definitely were poking fun at uh, Formula One. I I think that uh, Baron Cohen really nailed the character and, and really... You know, played up all the stereotypes at the time, and <laughs> it, it was satire, just as Brad points out. But I, I seem to remember laughing at the time. I mean, the the whole movie was you know stupid comedy, and it was one corny joke after another. But it was enjoyable, and uh, I, I had to laugh at the time too because I thought, well, okay, they're they're working this angle into it. You know, this uh, supposedly very successful Formula One driver making this uh, you know seamless jump to NASCAR and everything like. Like that. And I think they sort of spliced in some, some uh, what was it? Some pictures of uh, some Benetton, you know, the sort of the blue and yellow Mild Seven kind of, uh, you know, uh, Fernando Alonso era Benetton, which was uh, kind of cool, but. Yeah, I I think it might have been a little bit of a one-two punch because I kind of always wondered that myself. I mean, it did come out not too long after that uh, joke of a U.S. Grand Prix back in 2005. You know, I always kind of wondered if that was done on purpose. I've I've never really looked into it, but um, that's definitely food for thought.
0: I am legit on Amazon.ca right now ordering the big, hairy, American-winning edition of Talladega Night. <laughs> I, I love the film. You're absolutely right. I, I remember it coming out in 2006. I, I loved it. Uh, I'm not a big slapstick, dumb comedy fan, but I, I really do enjoy Will Ferrell's work, and I thought that movie was fantastic. And, and at the time, I was a big Formula One fan. I, I didn't know, and I still don't know a lot about NASCAR. I think pretty much everything I know about the sport of NASCAR I learned from that film so hopefully it hopefully it stands true or was accurate to begin with but I I actually quite enjoyed the portrayal of a Formula One driver because I don't know that it was necessarily an exaggeration on what American motorsports fans thought Formula One drivers were in fact I think it was probably a pretty muted representation of what North American or American motorsports fans thought F1 drivers were. And I think this is why, and I don't want to keep going back to Drive to Survive, but I think one of the reasons that Drive to Survive has been so powerful is because it unlocked the personality of the drivers. It helped to break down some of those stereotypes and make the drivers more accessible in a way that they wouldn't have been previously. Because if you don't have drive to survive, all you see is these guys in the bullpen getting peppered with questions before or after a race when they're not being particularly open or sincere. And they're basically trotting out the team orders or the team lines when it comes to certain questions. But I think this movie did a pretty good job of reflecting what the perception was at that time. And like I said, it was probably Mm -hmm. even a pretty muted a uh, muted perception. So I love the movie. I Great call, very, yep. very well done. Um, and I think as well, you look at the drivers at that time for me, they weren't particularly accessible and I didn't know a lot about them. And and I found it really difficult to rally behind any of them, even as an active formula one fan. And I think this is why I got so excited the year following when Lewis entered the sport, because I'm like, Hey, this is a young guy. He's not from a super wealthy background. This is a guy that I can better connect with, probably mm-hmm. kind of relate with but better connect with and maybe relate a little bit, you know, having gone to a, gone to a public primary school in the UK in an area that wasn't particularly affluent, but uh, I thought this was a, a really well crafted email and, and I loved it. So more questions about Talladega nights.
1: Well, of course. So I got to start working a little bit of shake and bake into the podcast, uh, whatever we can. Next email comes from Carlos in H-Town. And this is a great question as well. And um, he's uh, asking about the upcoming Schumacher uh, documentary uh, set to drop on Netflix in about two weeks on September 15th. And uh, he goes on to say that he's only learned a small uh, small amount about uh, Michael Schumacher. And he says, uh, but it seems to be fair to classify him as a, dirty driver i'm hoping for some classification on the topic also could you offer a few equivalent athletes in north american sports uh names uh, several from the dobler romanowski uh, in the M- nfl Lambeer, rashid wallace carl uh, malone dennis rodman the N- nba pete rose ty cobb and you know he, he names quite a few um he said um uh, and, of course, he said, "I'm not familiar with the NHL, so but I imagine there are several comparisons to be made." And, yeah, I don't know. That's kind of a difficult one. i've I've been thinking about that, and i I don't really know if there's a way to really draw specifically, a, a non motorsports comparison with the with, with Schumacher. I mean, it was kind. Of, I mean, it's different again because uh, all of these guys are playing team sports, be it uh, football, basketball, baseball, hockey, whatever. And motors motorsport, of course, is a team sports. But I mean, obviously, a lot uh, relies on the driver who's in the car. And I don't know. Do you, what, what do you think about this one, Mark? Uh, this one I find a little bit uh, difficult to answer.
0: Oh, I really like the question. I might I might cop out, tap out on this one and, and come back <laughs> with some
1: answers. I yeah.
0: I think we're gonna learn a lot about Schumacher and this is one of the reasons I'm really interested or curious about that that Netflix documentary is I wanna get a sense of I want to learn about how much they they do or maybe don't sanitize his driving career. And I I brought this up a couple of times in the past that I think for a lot of people that are coming into Formula One, you hear about Michael Schumacher being the great, he won seven titles, he won five titles with with Ferrari. Then he had his Washington Wizards adventure at the end of his career with the Mercedes team. And that's a Michael Jordan reference for our non-NBA fans um, who – Again, like Michael Schumacher came out of retirement to go to a team that wasn't in a position to contend. Yeah. I'll have to come back to you on this one, but I, I would encourage folks that don't necessarily know to do a little bit of research into Schumacher's career and maybe, maybe do it after you watch the documentary because maybe this is covered. But I think it's important, and I brought this up a couple of times. This is a guy who was disqualified from the 1997 championship. For mm-hmm. intentionally running into another car in the hopes of knocking that individual out of the race so he could secure himself a chip for the year. Not not clean, but I'll be very, very curious. In terms of sporting parallels, I think there's some good ones out there, but let me come back next week and uh, and share those.
1: Well, I mean, yeah, fair enough. Uh, but I mean, there is that, uh, you know, one good reason to uh, think of him as a dirty driver. I mean, there, there's a lot of uh, obvious, um, you know, things to talk about. There was a time he parked his car in Monaco during qualifying, which kind of messed up everything as well. There's the inf- incident with Jacques at uh, Jerez in 97. There was the title on the line at Adelaide in 94 with Damon Hill and that whole, that was a bit shady as well. So, you know, it, it, it's interesting, too, because, you know, we, we've seen the trailer for the Schumacher documentary, but I, I'd really like to know, you know, that old saying, follow the money. I'd like to really know, like, a, you know, who really whose idea it was, because, you know, is this going to be right. like an unbiased, subjective look at Michael right. Schumacher, the, the, the man, the driver, his career and everything like that. And again, like very much like you said just now when we were talking about um You know, that uh, the whole uh, Ricky Bobby thing and the drivers of that, uh, you know, the the early to mid aughts and just how they, I mean, at at that time we were just uh, what limited videos we could see online on a a website or in a magazine was probably the go-to thing at that time, right? I mean, compared to what what uh, you know what we can get today, which is you know social media, um, print media, if that's still a thing, and any other digital platform that you can think of. I mean, with Schubacher, I mean, broke into Formula One in the early '90s at Spa. And I mean, that, that was one cool thing that his son Mick would had like the, the the retro throwback helmet of his dad, which was uh, kind of uh, overlooked and all that. But I mean, this was uh, an era where definitely you were going to magazines, and um, you know, this is before the internet was really a Thing, so I mean, you. Really weren't getting news very often, and anything that you would get would be a feature spread in a magazine, or you know that that's basically what it came down to, or newspaper articles. So, you know, it'll be really, really interesting to see like a lot of this old footage, and it'll be interesting to see like these incidents with Hill, the incidents with Jacques, um, (laughs) you know, the 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 whole Monaco thing, how they frame that with obviously the two titles at Benetton, the five titles at. Ferrari, and I mean, sure, he he really elevated and took the whole role of a a Formula One driver to the next level with the fitness, the way that he worked with the team and worked with the engineers. Sure, I mean, you give him credit for all that. I mean, but you know, for for all the credit and all the love that you share, you you show Michael Schumacher, you have to. Look at the dark with the you know the dark side as well. So, um, yeah, it's a great question from Carlos. I, I think we need to look into this one uh, a little bit, uh, you know, you know more. I don't. I just don't know if uh, Schumacher was n- necessarily as intense as Bill Romanowski. But I love the question. <laughs> Very cool. So what are we going to do? We've got to wrap it up. I, I got MotoGP Corner. I, I got it all primed and ready to go. Did, do I, did I get to play it tonight? Do you want to do it? Or, or did I'm it... going to
0: substitute this with Hip Hop Corner tonight.
1: And Oh, okay. I Which I don't have a, a little thing primed for I here know, in the audio card, but it's all good. It's all good.
0: Given the fact that I spent 18 hours prepping and building and developing the jingle for MotoGP Corner, <laughs> it's been generally quite unutilized. <laughs> As a hip hop fan, I want to give Kanye West flowers for finally releasing Donda last night. As it turns out, he may not have expected that he was going to release it rather Universal released it but uh, that's one mega album with a bunch of guest stars and so obviously as a hip hop fan I, I take notice of this. That said I will not be listening to it until I've listened to Certified Loverboy, Drake's new masterpiece which will be dropping this coming Friday the 3rd um, at least 100 million times because I don't <laughs> want to too many streams in the battle for most streams of, of 2021 and for those of you that didn't notice Drake effectively announced the album by quote unquote hacking into Sports Center, so during the Sports Center promo, which is where they show a bunch of clips and there's some music before they go to the the uh, the host sitting at the desk. Uh, it hacked in and it showed a fan holding up a piece of cardboard that said "CLB September 3rd." So I thought that was pretty cool. Not quite as exact exagger- or extravagant as Kanye hosting three listening parties in front of tens of thousands of people, but effective nonetheless. So as a hip hop fan, I uh, just wanted to share a little bit of pop culture tonight. But I don't really have a lot else looking through my notes. Again, I think the theme of the weekend was safety. I think we obviously talked about this a couple of weeks ago with Matt Sikaris, just in terms of the safety of this track. It sounds as though, and I think it's pretty well established that there are some not insignificant changes coming to a couple of the more problematic corners that we'll probably see instituted next year possibly more i think formula one's going to have some serious reflection on their hands i think Mm -hmm. the fia has some reflection on their hands i think the weekend was a bad look ultimately from a safety perspective and in terms of hosting or shoving through or ramming through a farce of a two race spectacle not a good look let's move on i'm excited for for Zanfort. i think the main thing is that we ultimately didn't run a grand prix because the conditions wouldn't allow it no one's hurt. Obviously, we've got some drivers from the W Series that are awfully shaken up, and I think we mm-hmm. and I were both greatly relieved they're okay. Albon, not Albon, Lando's okay, but uh, we've got Zandvoort in just a couple of days, and, and hopefully conditions will allow a Grand Prix, but I think that's something we should all be excited for, regardless of what happened in Belgium.
1: Yeah, exactly. Let's draw a line under this one. Uh, like we say, let, let's hope that the uh, they, they do right by the fans that uh, that that sat out there for three and a half, four hours in the rain. Not to mention all the time that took to get to the track and all that, but I'm skeptical, but let's uh, wait and see. Anyways, um, that was quite the closer that you had there, Mark. I have nothing further to add, so let's, uh, let, let's get out while well, the going is good. Thank you guys for downloading listening to the show. Thank you for those of you who jumped in on the live stream on YouTube tonight. If you want to get in touch, by all means do so. You can send us an email. That's still a thing in 2021. Email is scooteryaf one pod at gmail.com. If you want to get in on our weekly Spaces Chat, which usually goes at about 7 p.m. Pacific Time, 10 p.m. Eastern, Thursday nights, you can follow us on Scootery F1 Pod. And that's it. That's a wrap. Have a great week. We'll see you in a couple of days. On behalf of myself and Mr. Mark Hamilton, bye for now.